I guess we'll do it that way. What's going on, Uncle Zay? Oh boy, Johnny, John, 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 John. Here we are once again. You, 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 have you seen that Seinfeld episode recently where Elaine goes to her workout class and uh, John, is it John Kennedy Jr. is there? John, John, mm. and she's in love with him, and then he likes her. It's the it's the classic, um, the master of my domain episode. Oh yeah, that's a classic where George gets that song a, stuck in his head. It, there's that's one of those episodes where they pack like 16 quality storylines into one episode and you just can't quite figure out how. How much of that is Larry David? Instead of Jer? Yep. Uh oh, good question. Those intricate storylines, you know, cuz if you watch Curb, Curb is a lot of that. Interweaving storylines, you know, yeah. just stories that come full circle and Diverge in interesting ways, just like Seinfeld True. did. True. I wonder. Yeah, I bet that's kind of their like John and John and Paul vibe. Is like mm-hmm. Paul was the pop guy, John was the John was the weird guy, and together you get weird pop that like pushes every boundary conceivable. And then when they're apart, you still get good stuff, but it's just not the same. Right. 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 So you're that's not a huge I would Curb imagine. fan. Well, you know, I just haven't watched it. I think I'd probably like it. Um, it's excellent. I, I've seen, yes. I've seen a couple episodes. I just know I'm not even making a value judgment as much as just saying that I know it's not the same appeal as Seinfeld. It's, oh, it's yeah. not. That's not no a quality way. thing. It's just it, it. Objectively, it didn't do what Seinfeld did. No, you know and I mean? it is narrower in its appeal, for sure. Yeah, and I just kind of imagined <laughs> that like you know, to some extent, had they not met, Seinfeld probably wouldn't exist. I don't know that either of them Mm -hmm. could have done Seinfeld on their own. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Uh, You were just talking to me about John Carpenter. Oh, John Carpenter. Dude, I watched a little movie called The Thing. Mm. John Carpenter's The Thing. Last night, I watched it. Shout out to Bryce McGuire, friend of the show showed it to me. He was like, I think you're going to like this. And I was like, yeah, we'll see. I don't watch a lot of scary movies. Bro. Were you resistant to like, it? No, not really. I actually was pumped about it. I like scary movies now. I just, I, I just have missed a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, it's really, he's like, I haven't seen it in years. You know, he's like, it's really campy, but I think you're going to like it. Um, Kind of in spite of the silliness of it. And I watched it. And I was like, uh, we both were like, oh my gosh, that was, like watching a great master like Fellini mm. take on a pulpy B movie and mm. direct the living crap out of it. It was un-effing believable, dude. It was so, so, so good. So fun to watch. Shockingly gross. I mean, it's far nastier in some ways than just about anything I've seen recently. Mm-hmm. Um, And yet not in this like... I don't know, man. It was just so inventive, so creative, so many special effects. I don't know. I, I, I can't recommend it highly enough. I think it was wonderful. It really kind of, it was a little bit like when I watched Wes Anderson or Scorsese for the first time, I was just like, oh, I've just never seen anything like this. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so there's some something like really cool authentic experience. about it that appealed to you. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Even- that's the thing. It was so singular. It was just like, this guy knows, I, I knew from four minutes in, I was like, this guy knew exactly what movie he was making. Mm-hmm. And he stuck to that the entire time. And it's just, it's, 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 yeah, it's totally authentic because it's funny and it's dark and it's weird and it's goofy at times. But then it's like, it's, it's everything because again, he knew what he was, he was like, I'm not going to make the movie i'm not going to make the version of this movie that 1982 expects me to make i'm going to make the version of the movie that i want to make mm-hmm. yeah i've been listening to um skeleton crew which is a collection of short stories by stephen king mm. and i feel the same way about him like i'm not a horror fan you know i don't watch horror movies really but i love stephen king because there he's just such an, a pure and like authentic voice you know He's exactly. such a master and he storyteller. To express it in certain mediums. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. And a lot of times it's not exactly my jam, this you mm-hmm. know the the genre, but I st- it's just so appealing. It's undeniable. I started reading um, the Dark Tower series, mm-hmm. and I got the first book was 
really, really great. Um, I'm looking forward to reading the rest of them eventually, but I just, you know, I've been busy. I listened to them on tape. <clears throat> Literal tape? No. You have like a, a, no. a one of those library style <laughs> clamshells with 16,000 tape cassettes in it. Are you just, uh, are you young enough to not have got books on tape? Actual tape? No, no, no. I did. You I did. did. I mean, how do you think I know? How do you think I know about those giant clamshells right, with right. sixteen thousand tapes uh, in them? It's tough because kids nowadays don't even know about what my wife teaches, and the kids don't even know like Mister Rogers. Some of them might know wow. now because of the movie, but in general, like Sesame that Street, what's that? Mm. But um, mm. but it is possible that any of these kids can find out anything easily with like a ten-minute YouTube video. What was music it's like true. back in the eighties? But you, dude, you know what, dude? Okay, agreed. But John, you brought this up a couple episodes ago. Mm -hmm. It's like the Library of Babel. Mm. Where do you start? Right. How do you know you're getting the right thing? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Like, yes, you can learn anything, but how do you know you're learning it from the right people? For instance, I, because of last episode, I was curious. I was like, I wonder what some of these other creation myths are. You know, like, I wonder, I want to read more about I know the Epic of Gilgamesh a little bit, mm. but I'm really curious how other cultures, you know, what, what, what their accounts of things like the flood and like the Tower of Babel and like even creation or the beginning of things. And there's obviously a, a lot of those. Some of them are extremely old. But even that, I was like, man, this is such a loaded topic. What I really want to do is talk to a balanced expert and be like, where mm. should I start? And I don't think the internet is good at that. You know what I mean? Sometimes you yeah. get lucky and some person has written that thing and you get to find it. But the internet, that's back to even, will we be replaced? You know, Will this podcast eventually be made by robots? I don't know that computers, I have not seen evidence at least. Maybe it exists. If someone sees it, they can write in. I have not seen evidence that computers are good at that type of analysis. You know, mm -hmm. like that level of depth with analysis and sort of synthesis of differing ideas of like, let me analyze not the, the purely quantitative kind of like, this is this old and this is that old. And that makes this one more authentic, but like really analyzing dozens and dozens of different sources and different biases and coming up with like a relatively balanced approach about like, this is a good place to start with this creation narrative. You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, totally. But yeah, people are also extremely biased too, so that's what makes it challenging. We're living in a um, post-truth world right now. You know, it's you're not supposed to ever come to a final conclusion about whether mm -hmm. something is true or not. You're just supposed to feel a certain way about it. Which, all right, I have a thought on that. Give me one second. Yeah. So I got like three different quotes, dude, that's going to hit that. And, and because, you know, here's why I mentioned that, because I think a lot of people hear post-truth mm -hmm. and they hear relativism and they hear all those things. And people in our tradition are like relatively narrow-minded, not relatively, are extremely narrow-minded sort of Christian tradition. And a lot of others for that matter. People hear that and they're like, yeah, exactly. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. We don't, we don't even know what's true anymore. And I'm like, Mm, no one ever did you dumb bum it's like did i just say dumb bum <laughs> dumb bum. i, I kind of like that that's sort of better than uh work it into that's your sort of better vernacular i think i will you know did i tell you did i tell you about all of i i actually am going to create a production dictionary one day because i there there aren't words to describe a lot of the things that i like to do mm. And that's not to say that I'm like coming up with new stuff necessarily. It's just like, I like to make up words. And so mm -hmm. for instance, that, you know, I would tell Christian, my DP, like put a little booper on it, <clears throat> you know, put a little booper, a booper mm -hmm. and a booper kind of came to mean this very specific, uh, you know, a, a very specific type of camera move where it's like, it's kind of hard to describe, which is why I made up a word for it. And then, you know, and, and, and then like, also mm -hmm. I told my cast, I was like, I've got two different 
one one phrase directions for you and let's just talk about what they mean now taco truck is my way like when i say just give me a taco truck what that means is i kind of have what i need but this one's sort of for safety let's just get it you know what i mean like yeah let's just like move through this like this is less important than a thing that we need. Did to anybody get snap to. you and say these things have actual industry names? Say, and this is what they are. No, I kept waiting for that, and everybody just was like, "Oh, okay, cool, yeah." Uh, normally, we spend uh, an entire ninety seconds discussing what you want instead of three. So I think mm-hmm. it actually worked okay. So it was like, "Give me a taco truck." Taco truck means there's something more important coming up. I don't want to waste time on this getting this perfect because, like, this is sort of like a passing thing. Does that make sense? Well, sort of, but how does it relate to a taco truck? Well, I called it a taco truck because I don't want crap. I don't want McDonald's. I Mm. want a taco truck. A taco truck is a delicious, delicious way to eat. So you're talking about a a food truck. But it's quick. Yeah, but specifically we live in LA, so it's a taco truck. Anyway, well, it's a taco truck. So it's like, I just want to grab it and go. Get it and go. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Got it. And then I, uh, the other term is je- one of the other terms is called jellyfish. Jellyfishing it is another version of we have what we need. Now go for it. Do something unexpected. Do something weird. I don't care. Come up with something. Have fun. Ex- Explain the origin that of that that one. Jellyfish. Yeah. Or are you uh, just assigning this ran- like random names, or are they do they relate somehow? No. Sometimes they just come out of my head. You know, okay. and so it's I, like, it's I like try it once and... and then it sticks or it doesn't. No, it's it's jellyfish was just more like jelly jellyfish just happened. Jellyfish just came, just came and went, and Got it stuck. You, you know, so it didn't. It's like go. a variable okay, in so, math. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's kind of like um. Yeah, and kind of like I don't want to say three point one four blah blah blah. So I give it a symbol. I put I put right. pi. You know what I mean? That's what I'm trying to do with like my production lingo. I got a bunch of other ones, but um. Okay, John. Speaking though, okay, so people get all fucking worked up about post truth, and they're like, rah, 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 rah. and um, you know, it, it's just it's been there forever, dude. I think we, I think that's in a weird way. I do think that there is truth. I think that we should seek it, but I also think that everyone's GD obsession with getting everything a hundred percent right instead of like sixty percent right is the problem with just mm. about everything. Mm. Because, dude. You know what I'm saying? Because look, because it's not that there's not right and wrong, but everybody's a little right and a little wrong at the same time about just about everything all the time, Mm. I think. And if they're seeking the good thing. Okay, so there's a quote, of course, in Ecclesiastes, which is basically the book that made rollers in this podcast. And Mm. thank you, Solomon, or whoever the heck wrote it. Um, Bob, Ecclesiastes. (laughs) Bob. Steve, Steve Ecclesiastes Johnson. Mm. Um, oh, this is a good one. Don't take, do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Ooh, <laughs> your heart knows that many times you have cursed yourself, or you yourself has cursed others. That's some damn good advice. That's so um, true. I take everything geez, personally. This guy is- Damn smart though, but dude, you've said shit about other people, and you didn't mean it that personally. That's, That's just true. how shit goes. People yeah, bitch so about true. the boss. It's part of life. Oh, dude, here we go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it. it, it, it this little section is called "From Dust to Dust." It's mm. gonna get dark, John. But you know Uh-oh. what? I think it's so relevant. Moreover, I saw under the sun. This is Ecclesiastes three sixteen. So this is the famous chapter: "Time for Everything." Blah blah blah. That's also a huge part of rollers. But anyway, everybody knows that part. You know what they don't do, John? They don't pay attention to this part. He says, from dust to dust, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is all the same. As one dies, so does the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward 
and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Right? Like, dang. I just don't know why everybody's so GD worried about getting everything right. You're not going to. And and there's another part where he says, God put eternity in our hearts so that we would like wonder what's out there. But he also made us incapable of understanding it on purpose so that we will never be able to like solve all of those problems. Like it's a futile effort to try to finish the process. The whole point we've talked about this thousands of times Mm. is to go through the process. It's like Zen. It's that's why I'm starting to be be like, I've been studying Zen more and I'm just like, these guys figured out so much of this. Like, I think there's a, there's a personally, I think there's a personal side of God, however you prefer to define him or it that I think a lot of times Zen and other types of religious, you know, traditions in the East tend to forget about. But man, dude, they really got some of that right. Cause I'm just like, this whole thing is just learning to be here. Hmm. Yeah. It is strange how that, that idea has somehow gotten, maybe it's coming back into the mainstream and Christian circles but it seems like that for some reason if you went up to the average person in a church around here and you said hey do you meditate i don't think they would react great Mm -hmm. right like they wouldn't be like yeah or they would be open to it they would see it as like maybe too mystical right yeah i think so because they're 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 worried about being wrong you know they're worried that they're Mm going to do something bad and that they'll go to hell forever for eternity they're worried that they're going to spend eternity burning and i'm like that's a scary thought (laughs) yeah but why where where did that thought even come from i just don't even really think it's in the bible very much i don't i think it's mostly i think it's i think it's mostly people amplifying a very very niche part of the bible to scare the shit out of people that's what i think Mm -hmm. most of hell talk is Mm mm-hmm yeah, or you know, metaphors that people intent you know take seriously for that purpose, right? Or they forget that like this book, these books, these things were written over the course of thousands of years for very specific local audiences, and they completely leave out any analysis of like how those people's biases might have filtered in, whether or not you believe the Bible is perfect or not. There's nothing in it that says that it is 100% applicable 100% of the time. That's absurd. Mm -hmm. It's completely absurd. I mean, even just like with the law, people get so bent out of shape with like the law. And I'm like, do you really think Moses, who grew up in Egypt, just like magically shed all of his biases towards everyone in the world he all of his probable racism all of his anger all of his frustration at these stupid israelites who keep fucking everything up you think he just magically got rid of all of that and just wrote out the perfect law for everybody and he didn't add to it maybe a little bit just because he needed to get these idiots to do the right thing more of the time you know what i mean i'm gonna clip that this seems in, so maybe, possible but... There, my one of my favorite Mel Brooks bits of all time is in the History of the World Part One. <clears throat> he uh, he plays Mel Brooks plays Moses, mm. and he's walking down from Mount Sinai, you know, and mm. he's like, "Hey, people of Israel!" He's got, he has oh, three ta- three tablets, and he says, "I give you the fifteen Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. All pay heed." The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these 15. Ten, ten commandments. <laughs> well, dude, that, I saw that, that as a that kid, is... and it blew my mind. It Because it put, yeah. maybe this is, dude, if, a, if, if somebody was listening to this with this mindset, they might be like, exactly. But it mm. put that thought into my head, like, that is it could something like that is possible you know like a scroll could be yeah. lost a a uh, the library at alexandria burned down nobody is there was apparently so much knowledge that was lost there you know this stuff mm-hmm. happens 
Like how the pyramids were built. Pyramids. Also, uh, dude. Well, I'm sorry. Keep going. I mean, the Ark of well, the Covenant. It, where is that? You know, that that yeah. concept that maybe just in a landslide is gone. Yeah, totally. Yeah, anyway. just buried somewhere. Well, and dude, also, you know, I should know more about exactly how this went down. But basically, didn't Moses smash the first two tablets because he was pissed? I'm pretty yeah. sure he fucking came down the mountain. He did, yeah. And when they, they were, were like worshiping yeah. some freaking idol, and he was like, mm-hmm. "You fucking idiots!" And he smashed the tablets, and then he went back up, and those are the ones we have. So who even knows what was written on the first ones? So, dude, so a couple interesting facts. I always tell this to people whenever we, this comes up, but back in the day, <clears throat> I believe it was Jerome, the found, one of the church fathers, translated uh, the Bible into Latin. Did he and do he the miss, Vulgate? That the Vulgate? I, be, I think. I think so. Okay. He mistranslated or he used a other translation of a word in Hebrew relating to when Moses comes down off the mountain. In the Bible, it says in, in the King James and other Christian Bibles, it says that his face glowed when he came down off the mountain mm. because he was in the presence of God. But Jerome, I think it was Jerome, misinterpreted it, misinterpreted the word keratin to mean horns. So for quite a while in church history it was believed that when moses came off the mountain his face wasn't glowing but he had horns Whoa. so dude michelangelo made this beautiful sculpture of moses giving the law and he has horns in it dude like billy goat horns <laughs> look i mean you can look it up and see it's crazy holy smokes dude um but also in that Calf. I mean, what are the odds that we aren't making some of the same idiotic mistakes? Right. Zero, right? I mean, you know, the other, the famous one that Radiolab f- pointed out was that, um, and in fact, if you open any Bible right now that has footnotes, it'll say this, but the number of the beast, 666, in the absolute earliest papyrus that they have, it's 616. Oh, my word. 616. Holy shit, dude. Yeah. So imagine, and Radiolab did a funny bit alluding to all these tattoos that would have to be changed, you know? Well, yeah, there's definitely a funny version. And then there's another sort of more empathetic part of me that's like, think of all the poor uh, kids in like, you know, holiness churches in Alabama who like have been scared shitless by all of this crazy superstition and most of it's probably garbage anyway you know um well it's insane i people are cray cray dude yeah i mean i don't know man people take this stuff seriously i remember as a kid i when i was a camp counselor like look during thunderstorms i'm not not mad at the kids i'm i'm thinking the people who who have propagated these but they believe it you know yeah it's true it's true. And, I, and I, I'm doing the same thing. I'm spreading some sort of message myself. You know what uh, message you, you should be spreading right now? The message of rollers. Mm. Give us a give us a lowdown. What's been going on? Dude, so true. Oh man, dude. Okay, well, you know, here's here's my big picture, my big picture message. Um yeah, things are still going really well today, John. Today in maybe an hour. Um, mm. Mari, my editor, is coming to my house, and we are piecing together the first rough cut, not the first assembly. The first assembly has been done for about a week. Um, assembly uh, what's the and difference? rough cut. The difference being, an assembly is basically like just see the whole, just put everything in there. You know, it's kind of like a sketch. It's a sketch version of an edit. You know, it's sort of like mm. let me just get the broad strokes, get it all in there. Mm-hmm. make sure it's all there but there's no real finesse with an assembly a rough cut our rough cut anyway is is it has a lot of music in it it has a lot of really intentional edits a lot of scenes are probably within 10 percent of where they will end up in the final cut um and so it's a it's a big thing because you know i never watched the assembly i still have not watched the movie start to finish um hmm. and i'm not surprisingly pretty excited to do that. Um, I'm doing do a that. little bit of an, you're going to, sorry, you're going to do that in an hour with her. You're going to watch well, the whole thing. Wh- 
not quite yet. What we're going to do, we're going to start with, I'm still deciding, you know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of going my own way. Cause I think most people watch an assembly and then, you know, all this stuff. And I just keep resisting the temptation to watch anything that I'm not excited about because I only get to watch this movie for the first time once, you know, I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to cringe every 30 seconds because I know that I would make a different choice if I just took 20 minutes with that particular moment. The problem is 20 minutes spread over the course of a two hour long movie is a lot of time, which is why we've been doing it. But we've got two editors, me and Mari, we've been cranking. Mm. There are certain parts of the movie that are very simple. And then there are other parts that are much more complicated, but truth is dude, we're making a ton of progress. And I think this rough cut could actually be, really good you know there will be no no score but like i'm putting a lot of the mm-hmm. music in i'm really intentionally editing certain scenes and um and what i'm excited about is we're not going to start by watching it what we're going to do we have two different project files that we've kind of been merging on a weekly basis because like we'll each work and then we have to compare them and figure out how to make them bit one big project and then we disseminate it again to each other and then you know it's this process um of creating parity i guess between the two different things um and 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 where we're at now is basically we've got um we've got all the scenes edited and now we need to put them into larger sequences some of that has been done for example the other day i watched the last 30 minutes of the movie very heavily mm-hmm. edited, very like polished relatively. Cause I just did all of that. I was like, I'm taking all these scenes. I'm going to do them. And so I cut all those scenes and put them together and figured out transitions between scenes and figured out where the music went and like did a real cut. And so mm-hmm. what we're going to do, but I did that scene by scene. And then I pieced together two or three scenes and then two or three different scenes. And then I stuck those together and you just create building blocks to get bigger and bigger. So what we're doing is we're creating the next level of building blocks where we're kind of like, let's put all of our stuff in the same file because what will happen is I'll like cut two scenes, yeah, you know, and then I've got another scene, the third scene, but Mari was cutting that one. So I don't have the most recent version of it. So then there's this blank spot and then I have a, a fourth scene that I cut, but then there's this big chunk in the middle that's not done. So what we're doing is combining those and we're going to go through every scene together it's going to take a while, but we're going to go through every yeah. scene together. We're going to continue to make changes. We're going to continue to push it towards where we want it to be. Then we're going to make one big draft. Then we're going to watch it so that ideally the first draft, the first quote unquote rough cut, every scene has been through probably four or five revisions by the time we watch a single completely fixed rough cut, um, which is, you know, the reason people don't usually do that is because there are scenes in there that might end up on the cutting room floor, even though they're cut cut and right. That's makes it less efficient. But again, there's part of me that's like, I don't really know how to judge if this scene belongs in a cut unless it's good, <laughs> unless it actually matches up to the expectations that I originally had for it. And mm-hmm. so if I watch this shitty version of it, that's like not my favorite takes and not my favorite edits, then how am I really going to judge whether this is working within the context of the movie? And so it is a little inefficient. It does risk the possibility that we will, you know, end up cutting things that I put a lot of work into, but also I didn't shoot a lot of stuff that I don't intend on really making work. So that's kind of my hope. Um, anyway, it's a dude, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird feeling though, you know, to, to be, it's gotta be. Yeah. It's, it's wild. It's freaking me out. So how many hours, you guys, by the end of tonight, what do you hope you'll have in your hands? I mean, I really hope that by the end of tonight, we will have a two hour and 20 minute, basically director's cut that Mm -hmm. still needs to be trimmed, but it's in really good shape. And it's everything you want. Then, Then it'll just be cutting for time constriction, stuff like that cutting for time i mean really just like making it better you know trimming mm-hmm. being like okay mm-hmm. it's kind of a you know what i want to do is sort of this um you know what i want to do right now is sort of figure out this like survival of the fittest mentality where i want to you know i i like giving time and space to things i like hold on one second oh a little doggy <laughs> came in to visit hi buddies Kelly. So, Kelly just woke up. Hi, Kelly. Utterly silent dog. Say Sorry, hi to Kelly. The podcast. Kelly says hi. She worked three <laughs> nights in a row, so she's very oh, tired. Oh, sorry, Kelly. 
She might have to work tonight. <laughs> Good oh, God. No. Kelly's Holy job shit. sucks. Charlie's my Oh, man. She's yet. saving lives, though. She is, though. Although she had a patient die last night. It was very sad. Ooh. Oh, I'm not allowed to talk about her work. Okay, of course. <laughs> I will absolutely cut that. <laughs> no, no, no. You don't have to cut it out. I, I, it's not like I gave a name or anything. Um, point is, <laughs> somebody somewhere is putting the pieces together on Reddit, though. Deborah Jenkins. <laughs> Dude, if we get, oh man, if we get that level of scrutiny on our episodes, I will be thrilled. We are fucked. You'll be thrilled. Uh, I think we'll be fucked. <laughs> yeah, you're right. No, all of a sudden people are like, oh, now I'm figuring out all your secrets. So Slash, that's you guys don't end actually up. know anything. Oh my god! How many yeah, minutes that, do but, you see, think? You know what, John? That's I'm not afraid of that because we say that very voluntarily no one has to sure. twist our arms into telling people that we don't know what the fuck we're talking about you know i was that thinking is... about that the definition of the word heresy there's mm. part of me that's like i feel I like think... you got some email <laughs> emails no, no 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 you mentioned i think at one point you said this is probably heresy and my mm. initial thought it is was no no, no. <laughs> i looked it up yeah, my... it is no, 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 no. My initial thought was like, and I need to actually like read about this, but I feel like there has to be some intention of convincing someone or presenting something as truth versus mm. in order for it to be heresy. I think it's right. fair game permanently forever to ask any question and to oh, I agree. propose any idea, no matter how preposterous, as long as you are not telling someone that god told you that that's the truth that's what right. makes it heresy i think um i i wasn't afraid i was committing heresy i was oh, more that saying it was that an that, established heresy yeah and it is it is an established mm -hmm. heresy yeah mm -hmm. people okay, get so burned for it baby okay so uh, we're very at, possibly yeah <laughs> if hell exists so where where i where we're at with the movie is that we're very close to a rough cut um the next stage will be figuring out, frankly, figuring out how good the movie is. And that yeah. will, whew, that that's going to be weird, man. I think it could be good. I just um, pictured you tying Kelly down, making her eyes propped open like in Clockwork Orange, <laughs> having her watch the movie 400 times to give you notes over and over. <laughs> I'm like, how do you feel about it 363 times in? Um <laughs> Oh, wow. That would be brutal. I don't care how good mm. the movie is. That would suck. Uh, well, so what I want to do, John, I want to get... I, I, okay, so here's a little personal note that, I, that I've been exploring a little bit. I used yeah. to, I think out of insecurity uh, and, and, and not trusting my instincts, not trusting my own abilities as an artist, I used to seek feedback as quickly and as early in the process as possible from as many people as possible because I think I wanted external affirmation that I was like doing the right thing or that whatever, you know, I wanted, I craved and even needed yeah. immediate affirmation or for that matter, uh, critique so that I could change right. course before things get back. Right. It's, it's a way of, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I think it really neutered a lot of my work. Um, mm because I think it prevented me from really ever giving other people the opportunity to see it as I originally intended it, which is really what I want judged. You know, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. understanding more why it's important to wait because again, you only get to read a script for the first time once you only get to see the movie right. for the first time once. And that's a valuable experience for me. Like I've said before, I haven't seen the movie yet. You right. know, I think a lot of people kind of assume that because I've had this vision for two and a half years that I've in a way seen the movie. And to some extent I've seen the movie much more completely than anybody else. You know, I'm the only person mm -hmm. who's had every conversation I've had with every collaborator. And therefore I am the only person who has all of that information, but still I have never sat down and experienced the movie. I've never, I've read the script with the music in mind. I've watched certain scenes knowing what's coming before and after them. I've, you know, I've, I've made certain choices. I've done certain things, but I've never had the luxury of seeing the whole movie without using my imagination in a significant way. Um, and that is something that, that's an experience that I guess I, 
even myself, you know, I, I think there's an assumption that everybody, it, it's not even really an assumption. Everyone out, like everyone I know who's ever made a movie is like, oh yeah, the first, the first cut, like it's just brutal. And I'm like, then don't watch it. Make mm, it better. So true. Like, make it better before you watch it. Don't send yourself into a tizzy. Just fucking make it better. Work harder and then watch it. You know, that's how I feel. Mm. Yeah, I I just don't that's know. Personal choice, I can't still. I can't imagine editing. Um, I don't. I can't imagine editing it that way personally. Like, not that mm-hmm. I can't imagine editing a a movie anyway, but mm-hmm. I can't imagine doing it out of sequence like that. Or out of like individual scenes and stuff, you know, would be yeah. Well, but that sounds daunting, dude. It is the way, it is. The way you're doing it. It is daunting, and I think we could do an entire episode just on how being a good editor is massively dependent on your organizational skills. I mean, mm-hmm. there are thousands of clips. There are sound oh files and and video files and they all have to get synced up and they all have to live in an organized place so that I can go find them later. Um, did you do all that or was that done? That's Mari. That's what Mari did. And so typically an assistant editor or a digital, yeah, digital DIT will do that. But that, that's what Mari was doing kind of on set and and through other parts. And then I come in and I'm like, okay, great. She'll do like an assembly, which that kind is of a brutal. lot of the time I don't need. I know exactly. It's a lot, she, but she's a beast. You know, she's amazing yeah. at doing that. Dude, and some I think people she, have minds for that. Exactly. Like and that organizational stuff. It's not for me. I could do it. And I did, you know, it's funny, like sure. I've been editing and, and I've been very thankful for, you know, shout out to my friend, Dan Gerding, who was the person who really trained me in the ways of professional editing. First, I was probably 16. And Mm. I worked for my dad's company. Dan was my boss and Dan taught me how to edit. And he taught me, you Mm. set up file structure like this. You have to set outputs to this type of folder. And everybody has a different method, but the point, the, the unifying factor is it must be organized from the first time you import a single clip. The music has to go in a certain folder the you know the all like the the sequences have to be organized a certain way otherwise it's fine if you're doing a three scene short it's still a pain right, in right. ass but when you're doing an 88 scene 100 scene movie and every single clip could matter because you don't know what matters until it matters you better know how to find it and so typically yeah. the process has been mari will put an assembly together which i kind of sort of rely on a little bit in some ways just because it's like let me just remember what the scene is about but ultimately to your point about doing it out of order we shot it out of order too you know i've been preparing right. to see this movie in funky chunks for a long time and so when i'm editing i'm like all right i just got to get hyper focused on what this scene is about and i got to know what's before and after without being able to see it that's part of my job and i think thankfully you know like i I feel like during production and during here, like a lot of people at times were like, are you sure? You know, and I'm kind of like, well, sometimes yes, sometimes no. But at the end of the day, I know what movie I'm making and I, and I'm measuring each individual choice against Mm. the larger movie that I have committed to make, not how I feel about it in this moment. You know, I'm trusting the instincts, you know, Kelly sees a lot of, like I said, she saw a guy die. <clears throat> you know, she, mm. she sees a lot of people in very intense end of life crises with family because mm. unexpected accidents come up. The siblings have not decided what to do about mom. And some people want to keep her alive. Some people want her to go and want to let her go. And that's a very difficult, nearly impossible decision to make once mom is sick and can't speak for herself. Therefore, you have to make those decisions before anything happens so that you can all look back at that thing that you all decided when you weren't stressed and Just stick her down the laundry chute. What's that? Just stick (laughs) (laughs) her. I mean, that's what she usually says. She's like, just throw her out the window. And they're like, no. I don't know why. Um, That's what I tell my kids. Just like, it's a body. Who cares? Toss it, you know? I know. Well, it's more like mom is still alive. That's usually where it's really tough. Oh, well. That's what I'm talking about. Like mom, mom is, mom is, mom is, is, is in a vegetative state, but technically Mm. she's still alive. 
or, you know, and Kelly's with these people all day. She's like, this guy wants to die. Like, I can feel it. He wants to go. He's miserable. He's conscious, but he can't talk. He can't see. He can't do anything. He's pooping himself. He fucking hates this. Let him die. And as soon as they take some of these people off, um, off life support, like not even like full life support, but just as soon as they stop forcing them to stay alive, they fucking die. Like instantly. It happens all the time. You can see their, their ghost doing the floss over their dead body. <laughs> like who wants to live like that? Dude? The second, the thing I'm afraid of is I take that too far. And like, if I got a bad cold, people be trying to yeah. flush me down the toilet. You know what I'm yeah. saying? But <laughs> Oh, that's good. Okay, but so dude, really quick who's though. Who's trying to stick around that long? You know, no thanks. I know that's uh, dude, and honestly, a lot of the people don't want to, but people are scared of letting their family members go because they're scared that they're going to get haunted or something. I don't know. Anyway, dude, the point is, the point is, I knew I, I committed to, I decided, and then I committed to what movie I was going to make, and so I always measured it against that, not what felt right in the moment, unless I really was assessing how it didn't measure up to that standard. And then I would follow the flow of the moment. And I think the edit is the same Mm. way. It's like, I don't want to decide how to change this scene or whether it fits until I see what I originally intended for this thing, because I'm, I am fully, fully prepared and willing to blow this thing to smithereens and turn it into whatever it needs to turn into because I'm committed to making the best movie. I don't care about being faithful to my script. There were plenty of times on set where I, I literally threw something out less than an hour before we shot the scene and I completely rewrote it. That happened multiple times, but it wasn't because I was like worried or getting convinced by somebody who didn't see the whole vision that I was wrong. I just was following my gut. I was following the feelings that I was getting from cast or whoever. And to me, that's what makes the edit doable. That's why we're able to move quickly through the edit because I don't need to see every single possibility right now. I'm going to, I know exactly what I want the scene to feel like. I know exactly what I want it to look like. I know how long I want it to be. And so I'm going to try it like that. And if it's not working, I'll fix it. But I don't need to try a hundred different options before I make a commitment to try it this way, at least once, you know, how much of this is, um, it occurs to me that some of this might be you wanting to save yourself the little treat in this case maybe a big treat of being able to watch like a nearly done first cut at some point oh that's huge i mean dude i oh absolutely i've worked so hard that i don't want to hate the first time no i mean it's very much that that's not even a little bit like fringe that's a big part of it but i also think that that is directly correlated in some ways to my ability to properly critique the first one i watch because if i'm looking at six hundred thousand things that are wrong with it then how do i actually assess it on a larger level you know it's kind of like how do you walk into a house like it's kind of like why yeah i don't know it it, 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 does that make sense yeah no 100 percent. the the thing that makes me nervous about that is if you fall too deep in love with this you're not going to be able to make isn't that a challenge like you're gonna like this you know hopefully Mm -hmm. when you see it you're gonna be like dude i made this you're gonna be excited about it it's gonna be like falling in love with a girl almost Mm. and what you don't do when you fall in love with a girl is you don't notice flaws mm-hmm. as readily, you know, as you would if you were assessing a situation from a distance. Like that's why all your friends are like, yo, that girl's crazy or that mm-hmm. girl's selfish or a thief or whatever. This sounds like <laughs> obviously I'm not talking about my spouse here. But you know, people will do or that to their you? friends. Like at least they yeah. do in movies. As in they TV. should. And it Oh, I've had that And it does seem true. <clears throat> She's yeah, using you'll see, like your yeah, exactly. Right. You'll see something about somebody and it's easy for you to see it because you're not in love with them, you know? Um, yeah. So well, what's dude, the I, risk there? Like if it's, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm only pausing because I'm really thinking about what you're saying. I mean, honestly, dude, that's, it's a risk I'm willing to take. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, dude, like that's the ability. <laughs> that is what I think that ability is, is to, um, 
to be both committed to and in love with my own vision and willing to completely destroy it at a moment's notice um, and rebuild it from the ground up. I think that being able to simultaneously hold both of those things in my mind at the same time, I just said simultaneously, therefore I don't need to also say at the same time because that's redundant and useless. I apologize to everyone for my wasted words. Mm. That ability is, I think, John, what will make me a good director or a bad director. The ability to do that is a massive, massive part of what will make me effective or ineffective at my job. And I am kind of not interested in splitting the difference, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Like, I'm not interested in the compromise version of this movie until I've exhausted every possibility. I mean, for for example, there's a really key scene at the end, and we were on set and it just two key scenes at the end, you know, they just weren't working. And, um, in one case I slashed about 50% of it. I was positive. You're going to say someone's face. <laughs> just like, like accidentally, like I was just like whipping a razor blade around. Cause I was angry. I and you I were just, just like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, the scene wasn't working out. So I, I vented my anger and slashed someone's mm-hmm. face. I did. <laughs> there is a great moment in the behind the scenes. Um, on the very last day, I think I described this, a very roller's day, there was some something very frustrating going on. And um, mm. someone was wasting a lot of time. I won't say who. I won't say why. It's not important. The point is it was happening. And I was very frustrated. And I was, uh, I was tired. And I found a cinder block. And there were, it happened to be, a, uh, we were out back. There's garbage everywhere because the e-bell is hilarious. There's just like stuff that we left because it's rollers. It needs stuff. And anyway, I found a cinder block and there happened to be a hammer laying next to it. And I just kind of grabbed the hammer and I smashed the cinder block in half. And I was like, hmm, that feels really good. And I kept smashing it (laughs) until eventually, until eventually the cinder block, there were no pieces bigger than like mm, smaller than a golf ball was the largest piece. And I just kept smashing it. Not like out of anger. I was very calmly just exercising a little bit of my frustration. And then I organized it. And then Christian, who was also frustrated, came over and started painting on a wall with mud. And we created this little art piece. And it was kind of a joke. It's all captured in BTS because I didn't realize Aaron was filming us. But he came over and was like filming us. And it's all in the BTS. And then we sort of presented it and it's kind of a joke, but it also was funny. And and my assistant camera person was like, what are you calling your piece? And I said, unnecessary delays. And, uh, Mm. because what I did is I took all the pieces of the cinder block and I organized it into this little weird sculpture because I was trying to make some order out of my, anyway, point is dude, I don't know, John, I don't know. You know what I mean? Um, but I'm, but I'm okay with not knowing because I think I have proven to myself that I'm willing to kill my darlings as they say, is that why your dogs are so quiet right now? <laughs> they didn't make it long. <laughs> They're in the movie. Are they really? Very cute. Oh yeah, very cute scene. They're adorable. Good. Um, but anyway, John, I think I think that that that's kind of where we're at. Um, yeah. I think. Well, she's your editor's about to get there. So any any mm-hmm. parting words to us? What do we have to look mm-hmm. forward to? You know, I don't know, John. I was thinking actually. I was thinking about this ahead of time. I think this would be a good way to wrap up. Yeah. Um, yeah, we are both very busy and very tired. Um, mm. in some ways this feels like the wrong time to take a quick break because our mm-hmm. listenership is up. People seem excited about the show. There's stuff going on, but you know what, dude, I think I might Screw need em. a quick break. You know, I how think many, I might how need, long? I think Four we should seven take years. Yeah, <laughs> the year of Jubilee. I think we should take two weeks off, John. After Ooh. this, um, a little spring break. I think, I think a little spring break. I was originally thinking a month, but I think I'm going to get really antsy, and I don't see any mm-hmm. reason to take a month off. But I think, I think, John, this is a very natural, very important, very whatever. Who gives a shit? Stopping point, moment, inflection mm-hmm. point yeah. in this project. The up until now, the project has been about development and production, and now in some ways. We have not reached 
I think a lot of people might feel like we've reached the end of the process. The reality is we've actually reached the middle of the process. Um, hmm. The life of a movie fundamentally consists of development, production, post-production, and release. And we are now done with production. We're entering post-production. And I think now is a good chance to basically call the end of season one, you know, of this podcast Ooh. and basically say, we did a good job. We put out an episode every effing week, except for maybe like one. We did a great mm. job. We ran a race. Let's take a break. Let's come back refreshed. Take like a victory lap, baby. Yeah. What do you think of that? Mm-hmm. I love it. Because I think, because John, there's so much to do. I think there's so, so, so much for us to cover that I don't want to do it half-assed. I don't want to just kind of like lazily slop our way through debriefing the whole movie because I think you pointed this out. I agree. I think we can get, I think people are so curious probably about, I think you are curious. We barely talked. We've barely talked about the movie and how it went. And Mm -hmm. I think, I think we can get a lot of interesting stuff out of really, really going through the process retroactively of making the movie while also talking about going into producing the post-production because I think that is when I will actually be able to process my mistakes, my, my successes, all of that kind of stuff because in the edit, in post, when I start showing this thing to people, that's when I'm really going to start to look back and be like, oh, I remember when I was doing that decision and how we led to that. And I think that's the kind of stuff that could be super interesting for people to talk about. Totally. Okay. Let's do it. So I think we should do that when we get back. Um, so two weeks from now, um, three, three weeks from now, three weeks from now, we should be releasing an episode unless we get bored, you know, and put one out. What do you think? Remains to be seen. Okay, we'll figure it out. But, um, John, this has been a real pleasure. Thanks for listening. Um, thanks so who for does always put. Um, I'm I'm really excited. Good to, luck on uh, the edit to talk about more. Yeah, thank you. I will, of course, keep you posted. Um, everybody else, you're just gonna have to wait. Sorry. Buzz off. Get out. Yeah. Okay, I'll talk Get to you soon. It. Talk to you soon, Doug. Bye. Wake up, 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 wake up